Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome to today's podcast um, from the Feathered Desert. It's called specifically Southwest, and we're going to talk about towhees and burden. Have you ever wondered what is that bird that is sneaking around in your bushes or the tiny bird that is flitting around lightning fast in the shrub? Well, that bird sneaking around the bushes is a towhee and Kirsten is going to introduce us to this resident of our Southwest home. Yes, thank you very much. Towhees. Oh, I have to admit, until I moved out here to Southwest, I didn't have a large exposure to towhees. When I lived in Maryland, we did have some there, but we didn't have a lot around my house. But here, I have been exposed to the Abert's towhee, which is specifically Southwest. So we're going to talk about him first, and that's Abert. It's A-B-E-R-T, apostrophe S. This is a large sparrow type bird, and they actually are in the New World Sparrow family. They're called towhees because I don't really know why. I guess it's just <laughs> fun to say. It's a fun word. I'm sure there's a reason behind it, and I'm sure I'll find that someday. But the Abert's towhee is a large sparrow. They are brown all over with a dark face right behind the beak, and they have a long tail, which is what gives it away as being a towhee, is that long tail on a sparrow-sized body. And the Abert's will have a slightly rusty brown undertail. One of the only places that we can find the Abert's towhee is here in the Gila River Valley of Arizona. It is a big, big deal with birders because the Abert's towhee has one of the smallest distributions of any U.S. bird species. So when they come here to our area, we have several of them that will come here to uh, the store here in Mesa. And they say, the first thing they ask us is, how do I see an Abert's towhee? And we tell them where they can find them. And one of the things that you want to look for is a place with dense vegetation, such as desert willows, mesquite, and salt cedar. And if you're lucky enough to have them in your backyard, like I do. I do. Um, I have um, actually a large uh, group of jojoba that about six plants all in a row. And they're pretty tall, about four feet. And they're all bushed together. And that's where I see them always come out of. And that's what they like is that dense vegetation. Yeah, mine likes the globe mallow plants I have along my back wall. Yeah, they like a lot of the uh, desert stuff that you'll see here because that's what they're used to, of course. So the Abert's towhee is a ground forager. They generally eat seeds and insects, and you can tell that also they're kind of a towhee because they scratch. They scratch the ground to find their food. So that's our Abert's. We do have another towhee that I'll tell you about that is also common in this area, and that's the spotted towhee. And I've had this guy once in the two years that I've been here, and I think he was just kind of lost. But <laughs> that's okay. I was very excited to You'll see take him. take it. So the spotted towhee is also a large-sized sparrow. The male has a white spotted black back and a black rump, a black breast, a white belly, and a rust red side. So he is going to be a vision, essentially, in black, white, and red. And that'll pop out to your eyes and be like, whoa, what is that? So look for the head. The head will be black and the eye will be red, which is a good indicator that you're looking at the spotted towhee. Their wings are black with white spots, hence the name spotted towhee. And those spots will vary with individuals. They'll also have that long tail like a towhee. 
And the females will be kind of a duller brown instead of black, but they'll still have a little bit of the spotting, not a lot. These guys are found in Western portions of the US from uh, East Texas to California and from Southern Canada to Central America. So he goes a little outside of our specifically Southwest region, but that's okay. Uh, they prefer forest edges and thickets and they like gardens, um, including uh, parks around here that are scrubby, have some scrubby bushes in them. That's how I think I ended up with mine because of that jojoba and he just happened to see some birds eating in my area and he came over to see what was happening. These guys will do a double scratch on the ground. So they'll scratch, scratch and when they're foraging, looking for insects, spiders, seeds, and fruits. And occasionally you'll see these guys laying on the ground with their wings out and you're like, oh my gosh, are they okay? And what they're doing is they're just spreading their wings to suck up the sun. So that is our spotted toheen. That's cute. They yes. winter here mostly, don't they? I believe so. They do winter here, but uh, doesn't everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. So those are our two tohees that we find in our southwest region. And there's another little bird that Cheryl talked about in the introduction that she's going to introduce us to, which is one of the birds that I have absolutely fallen in love with since I have moved here. And that is the verdon. Yes, Kirsten has a crush on the little verdant. I do. <laughs> so the verdant, this is a little bird, and it thrives in the desert. Arid brushland and open suburbs, and it needs very little water, almost nil, depending on, um, it can go without water, actually, depending on how many berries and insects that it can get. So if it's a, if it's a good year, it doesn't need water at all. Verdant is a very small, a very small songbird, just a bit bigger than a hummingbird size. Yellow face gray upper body, whitish underbelly, gray wings with red shoulder patches. The female is the same, but a little duller in color. Um, one of the smallest songbirds in North America, and it has a sweet little song. And once you hear it, I wish I could um, recite it for you or mimic it, but I, you don't want me to do that. <laughs> but once you hear it, you will recognize it and you will know that it, it's a burden. Um, its range is from the deserts of the South the deserts of the southwest from south southern california to northern Nev southern nevada which i didn't know it went that high i didn't know that either until we did a little research on yeah. it. central texas uh down into mexico baja peninsula so it, it definitely is a desert bird it prefers that prefers that desert scrub habitat and washes mostly not because it needs the water but because it eats insects it eats insects berries fruit and forages among the leaves and branches um, of the bushes and the trees. It doesn't like to spend a lot of time on the ground, so it actually is almost like a gymnast or an acrobat as it moves um, through the bushes. And it's very fast. One, probably that's a defense mechanism. Because yeah, they're pretty tiny. They're pretty tiny, and they would make a nice snack if they hung around um, too long, even like a praying mantis or something. Yeah. Could nab it. Um, they, this is also interesting. They build two nests through uh throughout the year the um one is for breeding in the spring and summer and the uh, that opens up towards the prevailing winds for cooling um for cooling now that's just fascinating to me how does a bird know which way the wind is going to blow yeah. but apparently it does and one for uh ne nesting in in the winter and this one is thicker and insulated again this just totally in fascinates me that they are programmed this way and the male stays in one nest and the female stays in the other. So they, before we even thought of it, the Verdon had thought of a man cave and a she shack. There you go. They, they had already done that. I'm, mostly the male stays in the other one because he's a decoy. Mm. 
So um, his man cave is in protection of his family, which I thought was quite heroic of him. Yes, it is. Um, verdant populations have declined in recent decades due to habitat loss. So it's really more important now that we in our yards um, plant uh, native plants. Yes. Uh, to keep them, um, keep them going. And these birds are either found as a single or as a pair. Now you rarely will see large groupings of them unless you're seeing mom and dad with babies and they generally only have one to two at a time. So the most you'll see if they're very successful is four because they don't hang out in larger groups like bush tits. You can see like a, a, a lot of them, those little small gray birds. You can mm. see a lot of them, but not with the verdin. Yeah, I have only seen one at a time yeah. at my little hummingbird feeder on my back window. I was fortunate to have them raise babies in my backyard two years ago. And um, so I watched um, the pair and they had two babies. And so I watched them go from little green fluff, little green, <laughs> little gray fuzzballs to actually developing their adult feathers. And that was really cute because um, there, one feather at a time would turn yellow. So you oh. have this one adult feather sticking up like you, you know, had a mohawk. That's very cute. Yeah, they, they just really looked disheveled, but it was interesting to watch them. And now Wonderful. Kirsten, is. we're going to talk about how to attract these fascinating birds to our yards. And Kirsten's got the towhees. All right, so back to my towhees. Uh, one of the best ways to attract the towhees, since they are mainly insect eaters, as to put out water and of course out here in the desert it's extremely important to do that so if you put out a, a a bird bath and what i do is one low to the ground since these are ground foragers and uh that's a great idea to attract the the towhees that stay down on the ground um, i have mine right on the ground so i just use a terracotta pot bottom and i fill it probably twice a day to keep it nice and full um, but it's very shallow, so none of the birds can drown or anything like that. Um, and it's right on the ground. Now here at our Wild Birds Unlimited Mesa store, we have those short to the ground bird baths. And the, the circumference is about 14 across, 14 inches across, and it's probably about, well, five, six inches tall. And that's a great one to do um, to offer water for our ground dwelling birds like the towhees. Now, if you're looking more at um, things that you wanna put out for food, putting out um, something like millet or sunflower. So any of the combination foods that you'd like to do, uh, the mixed seed or any of the cylinders, when stuff falls off of that onto the ground, they will eat it. And I have to admit that my Abert's towhee that comes to my yard all the time actually eats the thistle from underneath my finch feeder. So I don't actually offer him any other kinds of different types of food specifically for him, but because he'll eat whatever falls on the ground. So if you have the sunflower chips that are already out of the shell or you're offering millet in um, any form that you're offering it, then the towhees are most likely going to arrive as long as you have that uh, environment that they would mm -hmm. be in as well. They'll venture into your yard. Mealworms is also a great way to entice them since they are insect eaters. And I know that Cheryl offers mealworms in her uh, yard for several different types of birds right now. 
And um, I haven't yet done mealworms out at my place yet, but because um, they're coming for the seed. But mealworms is a great way to offer that. And you can just do the dried ones. You don't have to do the live ones. Yeah. And people, right now, their skin is crawling. They're like, I ain't touching yeah, that. No. But you can just do the freeze-dried <laughs> ones. And you don't even have to touch them. Just pour them out of the bag and uh, put them in a little cup. Um, yep. Or you can get a specialized feeder for mealworms. Uh, bark butter is also a great way to attract them. Now, of course, here in the valley, we really suggest only using the bark butter during our cooler season, during fall and winter. And I do, I did. I saw one of my Abertohees eating my bark butter. I put it at uh, close to the bottom of the tree, maybe about two inches above the ground on the base of my tree, smeared it on there. And the next thing I know, here comes the little Abertohee running out, snatches it a little bit and runs away. And so that will work, that bark butter that you can get at your WBU store. Yeah. Uh, right now I have, excuse me, Kirsten, I have two uh, fledgling Abert's Tohies in my oh, nice. backyard. And the, the mom and the dad are taking um, the no-melt dough, naturally nuts, mm. that I have out. They're fighting off the white-winged doves. Yes. They're grabbing a little bit of that uh, naturally nuts um, no-melt dough, and they're popping it in their fledgling's mouth. Nice. So it's... Pal the bark butter and the no melt doughs are palatable enough to give directly to um, fledglings, and it's just really cute to watch them. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So one of the other things you want to consider also is your feeder placement. You want to consider that these birds like to be undercover. They like to be near bushes. It doesn't. The feeder doesn't have to be in the bush. You don't want it in the bush, but you know within five or six feet if you can. It makes them feel very comfortable. Um, they generally won't get on a tube feeder. Um, but they'll forage underneath it. So if you have a tube feeder hanging, which is what I'm doing with my finch feeder, it hangs from the hohoba bushes that I have um, probably about, I'd say it's about seven feet away. And, and and then it's in a big tree is where my feeder is. So they feel very comfortable coming out of the bush, running across that little bit of distance and then getting under the cover of that tree. So think about that if you're interested in those ground dwelling birds is where exactly you're placing your feeders. Yes. So, of course, we want to attract our verdant as well. So Cheryl's going to tell us a little bit about how we can do that. All right. Well, verdant actually have a favorite tree. And the fa their favorite tree is the Palo Verde, the Palo Verde tree. So um, they're, they're, that's what they're attracted to. So if you have those trees in your yard or nearby, um, you most likely do have verdant um, visiting your neighborhood. Um, I happen to have verdant in, in my yard, and they like my fairy duster uh, bush. Mm. But my fairy duster bush is um, actually a tree. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's actually about five or six feet um, tall now. Well, that's And big. it's about, yeah, it, that's what I mean. It's a tree. Be, um, because of the way we planted it and trimmed it, and then it's about uh, oh, at least four or five feet wide and um, out there with the branches. And just the other day, I was using my binoculars and I, what is that in my fairy duster bush? And sure enough, a little orange head, no orange head, excuse me, a little yellow head popped out. And I knew it was um, the verdant in there again. And he's, uh, I don't have aphids. I don't have aphids on any of my plants because the little verdant are eating those insects right up. That would explain why I don't have any aphids yeah, either. Not on my rose bushes because... Um, my rose bushes are closer to my kitchen window, and mm. um, in the fall I will see them there. Nice. So um, that's one thing to consider, that they that's their favorite um, plant. Uh, hummer feeders. Now actually the verdins are not actually getting the nectar. They're eating the crystallized sugar from the port that dries when the hummingbird, you know, 
pulls its tongue in and it flicks it, then some of that little sugar becomes crystallized um, around the ports. Sometimes you'll see them hanging upside down on tray feeders um, or uh, the hummingbird feeders or seen on the top. They like perches, so um, it makes them feel very safe. So yeah. if you have a hummingbird feeder with a perch, um, that's more than likely to um, attract them. But um, they're adorable, and they're not taking the nectar from your hummingbird feed, hummingbirds, and they are just kind of cleaning it up. So if you think about, oh, they're just cleaning up the residue, then and it gives you a really nice view, don't get too upset with them. Yeah, they're not taking anything from your hummers. No, and they're not even bothering the hummers. The hum no, I've had hummers um, on yeah. come right where the verdant is on there, and the verdant just looks at them like, oh, and verdant usually leaves, and the hummingbird goes in for his yeah, nectar. Yeah, because trust me, the verdant's not going to take on a hummingbird. No. <laughs> <laughs> and they're almost the same size. Um, they like oranges and berries. So this is why I think that the Verdon really like my yard is that I put out orange halves. I actually put them out for my woodpecker, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but they do nibble on the, the orange. And I have used um, overripe grapes. I've mm. hung them in, um, uh, put them out. I've hung them in branches of a tree so that I can watch them in my rose bushes. Um, berries, they will eat the dried berries out of my mealworm. Um, Your little combination? Yeah, my combination, thank you, the mealworm combination. They eat the dried berries. Hmm. Um, bark butter. Now, Kirsten has put bark butter high in a tree to um, for her burden, and that seemed to work. Yeah. It was, now when I say high in a tree, I don't mean get out a ladder. I mean just stretch up to your toes yes. as far as you can reach with a fork comfortably. And I did that so up into the branches of the tree. Right. And I put it right next to this really, really tiny little tree that I figured wouldn't hold anything besides a hummingbird or a verdun. And scraped a little bit on there and went back inside and peeked out the window for a little bit. And yeah, about maybe 10 minutes later, this was in the fall and in the winter when they... Um, when past berries are no longer um, fruiting. And yeah, it came by, sat on that little tiny perch that I offered him and ate a little bit of that bark butter. Oh my gosh, I was so excited. I was like yelling at my husband, come to the window, hurry. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yes. So you have to remember that the verdun, they're a small bird. They don't like to be on the ground. They're very vulnerable, just like the house finch and the goldfinch. Um, they don't want to spend a lot of time on the ground. So you have to think up with them. Um, this is a bird that would be attracted to landscaping that is very bird friendly and that meets their needs. Just like the Abert's tohi, they like scrub, little shrubs and bushes that they can move through and um, safely and not really be seen and collect insects and berries. Um, that makes, yeah, it makes them feel safe. Water, um, they like it for bathing, but it's not something that they need to have uh, to quench a thirst because again, they're getting most of that met with their uh, meal. Yeah. Well, that leads us specifically to our plant spotlight. And I chose the plant, this plant, um, forgive me if I've mentioned it before, <laughs> but I'm totally um, excited and just over the moon over this plant. It's wolfberry bush, actually, mm. or shrub. And mine is just taking off in my backyard. It's a thorny green uh, and gray uh, bush. It has small, light purple flowers on it, and I'm so excited because when I see the flowers blooming, they're just really, really tiny. Um, but I get these small butterflies, nice. and I get um, um, oh, native bees. 
and I can actually sit there and want the native bees don't even buzz you or bu they're not even concerned about mm -hmm. you. And it's so cool to watch the native bees on these purple flowers. But what happened, what's really cool is that these purple flowers turn into red and orange berries. They're round, they're about the size of a pea, and I have flowers and berries on my bush right now. And I nice. don't even know if it's supposed to have berries right now, <laughs> but I'm just so excited that it does. And these berries, I've tasted them because people are supposed to eat them. Hmm. They're not that bad. They're, they're So they're edible um, for us, and the birds love them. So my um, mockingbirds, my towhees are eating my berries, and my verdant is flitting, flitting around in that bush. And it, because it's thorny, they feel really safe in there to do all sorts of acrobatic things that they do, like hang upside down and eat a berry. Nice. So this plant... Um, you do have to give it some space. Um, it does need more sun than shade, but right now, as we're heating up, I think a little shade to give it a reprieve um, helps it. But it's excellent for birds. And remember that you can eat its fruit too. Yeah, nice. That sounds like an all-around bush that everybody needs to have in their yard. Yes. All right, well, guys, thank you so much for visiting us. This was a little bit of a shorter podcast for most, but keep your eyes out for the Abert's towhee since we are so lucky enough to have it here, and our little Verdon. And thanks so much for visiting us in the Feathered Desert today.